0: Welcome to Fostering Hope, a program that opens a door into the world of foster care and adoption, sponsored by Foster Adopt Connect. You'll hear stories from all facets of foster care, from kids who have experienced the system firsthand, from parents who are taking on the challenges and rewards of creating forever families for foster children, and from child welfare workers and policymakers who work within the system while also working to make it better. Besides hearing important stories, you'll learn how you can help society's most vulnerable children in big ways or small. Please welcome our host, the Youth Program Supervisor at Foster Adopt Connect, Nathan Ross.
1: Welcome to Fostering Hope. I am your host, Nathan Ross, here with my co-host, Jennifer Townsend. Hi, Jen.
2: Hi, Nathan. How's How's it going? Oh,
1: Oh, you tried to beat me. I did. How's
0: it going? It's going
1: great. (laughs) We're joined with Rachel Williams today. Hi, Rachel. How are you?
0: Good. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. And Rachel's going to talk to us about being a transracial adoptee and what her experiences were like from that perspective. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've heard from adoptive parents. We've heard from professionals and we've heard from other adoptees. And so we're just rounding out that conversation with our final adoptee, sharing her experiences. So, Rachel, can you talk to us about when you came into care, why you came into care and what that was like for you?
0: Yes, so I was adopted when I was three months old, but I came into care um, immediately after birth. I'm guessing it was probably a couple days after, but my birth mom knew she wanted to place me um, at some point in her pregnancy towards the end, Um, so basically immediately I was placed.
1: Um, So, and do you know why? You were placed for adoption? so early.
0: Yes. So, well, when I was 18, I was able to get my non-identifying information, which is basically everything minus, you know, names and dates, things that would mm-hmm. let you be able to identify that person. So I read in there that the reason that my mom placed me was because she knew I was going to be of mixed race. My dad is African-American and my mom is white. Okay. So that that's the reason.
1: And, and so learning that, what was that like for you?
0: Um, at 18, it was definitely a lot easier for me to understand. Um, I think if I would have known that as a kid, it probably would have would have changed my thoughts on a lot of things. But mm-hmm. I didn't know until I was older, and I'm glad I was a little more ready for that information. Yeah.
1: Did your parents know? Did your adoptive parents know? My parents,
0: adoptive parents didn't know any of that, and I actually didn't tell them until I was Probably mid twenties. That that was one of the things oh, wow. on my information because I thought you know it would it would hurt them also. Yeah.
2: What what information was given to you about why your place for adoption?
0: Um, basically, she said that my birth mother said in the information that she already had two kids, which I knew of. Um, one is five years older, and one is ten years older from a previous relationship, and when she entered the relationship that you know resulted in her being pregnant with me she thought that it would be too difficult to raise us together Um, I don't know if that was because my dad wasn't going to be involved Um, I don't really know her reasoning she did say that she thought about parenting that she definitely considered it but she just didn't think it would be fair to either me or my siblings to raise us together
2: what information did your parents give you whenever you were growing up about why you were adopted? Did they hypothesize since they didn't really know yet?
0: They definitely. My mom especially made it kind of you know a flowery, um, non hurtful mm-hmm. explanation mm-hmm. because you know she just told me that it that was the way that it was meant to be that I was mm-hmm. meant to be her child and whatever you know they didn't know any actual information mm-hmm. so you know back when closed adoptions were the only option they really didn't get any information and what they did get was kind of questionable as to you know the truth of it mm-hmm. so neither one of them really knew they just told me it was that's the way that it was meant to be
1: and and so you were adopted young very young when did you first know that you were adopted adopted
0: that's always a funny question when people ask because my both of my adoptive parents are white. Okay. So it was immediate, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it wasn't ever a secret. So I remember being, you know, three and four years old, even back that far. And I remember I was in, I don't know, probably preschool and mm-hmm. I was washing my hands in the bathroom. And I looked down and I just had this moment of like, oh my God, I'm brown. Mm. I realized it that I remember Seeing it and thinking, why are my hands brown, and my parents aren't mm-hmm. and I came home and asked, and they said, You know, you already knew that you yeah. you knew you were adopted, yeah, so I think I think I always knew,
1: yeah, and so because we hear a variety of adoption experiences, so some young people don't find out until they're leaving home, and some like you said, grew up you know like you were grew up knowing that you were adopted, do you feel like that had any impact on who you became as an adult with always having that understanding.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that my acceptance of my situation was, it was always there. i never felt, you know, lied to or Mm -hmm. hurt about it. It was always something that I was really proud of. Mm -hmm. So, you know, growing up, I think it helped me. It made me feel like I was special in some way that, you know, they loved me enough to, to choose me, that, that was their main thing was we chose you. You know, we didn't, it, you weren't an accident. We, we wanted you. Mm-hmm. But I know that for some kids that look more similar to their adoptive parents, mm-hmm. it's easier for them to not say anything. But it really wasn't an option for mine. Yeah. It was, it was pretty physically obvious. So they kind of had to, they were forced into telling me. I don't know whether they wanted to or not. It just had to happen.
1: Yeah, I think that's a very interesting statement because the ones who obviously find out later are the ones who look like Mm -hmm. their biological parents. It's very difficult when you are very different looking. Yes. Um, And so there is some of that. The parents are trying to protect the kid, they think, but it sometimes can have a negative effect on their long-term development.
2: I've never heard
0: an adult adoptee say that they were told too early that they were adopted. Right. In all my years. No, I always feel bad (laughs) for the ones that didn't know until they were older because... Mm -hmm. We go through so much growing up. That's just another when is the right time right to tell someone a huge secret like that. I mean, I just I'm just glad. I'm I'm grateful that I did know and mm-hmm. I didn't have to go through that whole you know transition of being like who am I? Why have you lied to me my whole life?
1: Did you have other siblings
0: growing up? Yeah. Um no. I was okay. an only child until my parents divorced and remarried, so then I had step-siblings, but I was I feel lucky enough to be an only child. I yeah. loved it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, that, like, what was that experience like for you in growing up, knowing that you were transracially adopted, I, I guess?
0: Um, it wasn't ever an issue until people brought it up and would feel sorry for me. Even okay. family members, it was kind of like, a, oh, you know, nobody wanted you, so... I never felt like that, so it offended me when people acted that way towards me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In school, um, you know, I would have, my mom would come and kids would ask, one kid asked her, did you steal her? I mean, oh, he was wow. really upset. Like, where did you get her? He had no understanding of how that ever happened. And um, How old
2: were you around that time?
0: Probably fourth grade. Um, And he was just... He was just one of those mouthy kids mm-hmm. that would say something like that to an adult. And it was offensive <laughs> to my mom, too. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't like I wanted to explain to him, no, I'm adopted because I didn't even think he could comprehend that. Honestly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
1: How, how did she respond to that?
0: Um, that would be difficult. She just looked at him. Like he was an idiot, probably as she does, <laughs> and she didn't you know educate him on that she just felt she felt offended as a parent she, mm-hmm. she's my parent, and in her mind, when someone brings that up, it brings up feelings of you know how dare you mm-hmm. no matter if it's from a kid or from an adult um she doesn't see me any different than as if I was her natural child so
2: I think that's that's interesting. We've talked on this show before about um uh, people who represent different, you know, communities, and usually we're talking in reference to foster and adopt communities. I know we've talked with previous uh, parents who have maybe adopted many children, and how they get looks when they go out in public, or people ask silly questions, and that sometimes we feel, you know, happy to be spokes people for the community and want to educate people. But sometimes we don't. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just want to go out and enjoy a dinner with our family. Um, and, you know, sometimes those questions are hurtful. We have feelings. We're adults too. So if I was your mother, I would also be very offended and maybe not want to be the spokesperson in that moment for Absolutely. transracial adoption.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> learning like when to speak up and advocate is a, definitely a hard thing. Mm-hmm. Um, figure out so i i know in a minute or so we have to go to break but i wanted to kind of wrap out with just a question of um so you talked about always knowing that you were adopted and things like that but when did race start mattering to you when did that become something that you were like oh i care about black white hispanic things like that
0: i think i was in fifth or sixth grade okay and that's what we kind of talked about earlier um Before this started, when we moved to Colorado, we moved to a small town in Colorado. And I think I remember my parents having a conversation with me about what could happen, Mm. kind of warning me about what people's reactions might be and just kind of mentally preparing me for that. Okay. So I think probably around fifth or sixth grade. Before that, I didn't really care. Yeah. Um, I was in a school that was diverse. So mm-hmm. a church that was diverse. Mm-hmm. My, my life was diverse. So it wasn't an issue before that.
1: Okay. And that actually, that's a great stopping point because when we come back, I do want to kind of dive into that Colorado story. How did they prep you? What did that look like? And you also mentioned diversity, which is so super important. So also helping us understand what did that look like? How did diversity look to you? Mm-hmm. So when we return on fostering hope, we will hear more from Rachel about her experience as a transracial adoptee and how she believes parents can help kids grow in their understanding of transracial adoption and how the community can help kids grow as well. Welcome back to Fostering Hope. I'm your host Nathan Ross here with my co-host Jennifer Townsend. We are talking with Rachel today as a transracial adoptee and her experiences. So Rachel, before break, you were getting you were talking to us about coming into care as an infant and being adopted young and always having a conversation, always knowing that you were adopted and your parents were very inclusive and in diversity and things like that. And right before we had to stop, you mentioned the conversation developing when you were moving to Colorado. So I just want to pick back up there. What did that Colorado experience conversation look like and why was that the first time that the conversation had to happen?
0: Um, so I grew up in a pretty diverse community um, in Kansas City. The schools that I went to, the church that we attended, um, I was always around all different kinds of people, but definitely, you know, it was You know, there were a fair amount of people that looked like me Mm -hmm. that that I could relate to. So there wasn't ever a conversation before that of, well, just in case someone says something that's offensive, this is why. Mm -hmm. Um. So then in I I think it was fifth grade that we moved to this tiny town about an hour away from Grand Junction, Colorado, uh, a gorgeous place. Where before we moved, I remember my mom having a conversation with me and her being, I could tell that she was a little worried Mm -hmm. about what people were going to think or what they might say. Mm -hmm. And not in the way that she was embarrassed. She was, she's an extremely protective mother, Mm -hmm. just in all situations. But especially in that, she thought, what if somebody says something to her that's hurtful? Mm -hmm. And you know, changes her experience because she wanted me to have a good experience there. So she kind of talked to me about, um, you know, just making sure that I was being open with her about how I felt and that if anyone ever said anything to me that I know that it's not true and that they're just ignorant and mm-hmm. that I don't need to worry about it, but definitely tell her mm-hmm. if that ever happened. So we moved and, you know, surprisingly, I had an amazing experience some of the best years of my life were in that town. I never experienced racism mm-hmm. now. I don't know behind closed doors, right? What people might've said. Right. But you know, the interesting thing is <clears throat> I thought about if, if my family was black and we had moved to that town, if, if it was my natural family and mm-hmm. we had moved to that town, would my experience have been different? Mm-hmm. My parents were both white. Mm-hmm. It was my mom and my stepdad at the time. And um, our whole family was. So I was accepted, I believe, because of that, or more accepted mm-hmm. into that community. And nobody ever said anything to me or made me feel any different. I had friends. I had, you know, crushes. Guys had crushes on me. You know, mm-hmm. there was no difference in the experience that I had. That It was not negative racially at all.
1: Yeah. And that's such an interesting point that you made when you said – you, you didn't experience racism, but it could have been happening behind closed doors. When I moved to Belton, and our foster parents were older white people in a farm town. We had access to a country club that as children we loved. We, I, like my fondest memories were going to that country club and swimming and things like that. And I just recently, when talking to my foster parents, they were talking about how they actually had to deal with some of the racism that was going on from us going to the country club. We mm-hmm. never saw it, never experienced it, but I guess they tried to raise the rates and exclude kids and things like that wow. to keep us from going back. And so my foster parents had to juggle How to tell us we couldn't go to the country club without making it, hey, there's a big race issue here. You know, so it it was something that never crossed my mind, but completely changed. It, It didn't change my experience, but it also made me really realize how sometimes like parents really have to protect their kids from these types of conversations.
2: If that were to occur today, do you think that that's the right way to go about that to protect the child from the real reason that that's happening or do you think that they should have told you the real reason why you couldn't go anymore?
1: For me, it, it worked out. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have a better understanding of the world now mm-hmm. and racism, so I'm able to process it. I don't think that at the time, with the reasons we came into care, right. that I could have handled one more <laughs> thing uh-huh. about sure. the crappy world. And so I think that they, I, for me, made an absolute, you know, wise mm-hmm. choice of that. You know, we were kids having fun. They didn't want to taint that when we were, for, you know, having fun for the first time in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. That's
0: unfortunate, though, that yeah. you had to, you didn't know, but they had to make a decision on whether or not to say, no, our kids are going to go there right. no matter mm-hmm. what and be able to experience this or, okay, well, we're going to have to tell them that, you know, they can't go anymore, not tell them the reason. That's a lot for a parent yeah. to have to deal with. And I mean, they make that choice and they're, I'm sure, more than prepared to do those things, but it's it's unfair Yeah, Mm -hmm. but a lot of things are so I mean,
2: so Rachel, you said that you didn't experience um, racism, you know, directed towards you. It might have been happening behind closed doors. Did you in Colorado or any time with your peers experience something like um, like a general racism towards. People of color to which they felt like you, you were, were excluded, like you were the, mm-hmm. like you were okay,
0: but they felt a different way about you're not You're to your there. people. Uh-huh. And not you- in Colorado. Not
2: Ohio. in Colorado.
0: Um, I don't know if it was because it was a short time. We were younger, mm-hmm. but you know, the, the jokes mm-hmm. and the words and the, oh, well, you can't get mad because you're not that black. I have mm-hmm. heard that many times in mm-hmm. my life, mm-hmm. but- Um, not there. I never, I never even, it was never even a thought after that conversation that we had where Mm -hmm. she kind of prepared me and I was like, oh, that's weird. What is she talking about? Um, I realized where I experienced it more was actually in Kansas city where I grew up Wow. before we moved. And after we came back, um, was really where my race was an issue for people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or it was brought to my attention because you don't walk around thinking about what color you are on a daily basis until mm-hmm. someone brings it to your attention yeah, and you have to, you know, either defend yourself or be offended.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's such a good point. So what was that like then when you first, when it was first brought up when the, the little side jokes or the, Oh, I'm just kidding. Or I have black friends. I'm not racist clearly. Or, you know, mm-hmm. you're my, so what did, how did you work through those experiences?
0: I think initially because those people were my friends or people that I wanted to be friends with. Yeah. Uh The cool kids or, you know, you just you want to fit in as as a kid, as growing up. You just you want to fit in somewhere. You know, you don't want to make waves. Most of us don't. You're right. Um. So I kind of brushed it aside. I've laughed before at things that I didn't find funny. Mm-hmm. I've allowed people to disrespect me or other people when that's not who I am as a person now, as an adult. Um, but, you know, it kind of got to the point where I just stayed away from those people because mm-hmm. I realized that's that's them personally, that they think that that's okay, mm-hmm. because not everyone acts like that. Not everyone says those things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's also okay for people to say, no, that does offend me. Then this is why it's offensive. Um, and I think that one thing parents need to prepare their kids for are those situations so that they don't allow people to hurt them mm-hmm. just for the sake of being friends with that person or not, you know, being an outcast. Yeah. Yeah. I
2: think probably we're not having those conversations with kids about the microaggressions. We're talking mm-hmm. about racism, uh, violence, mm-hmm. and, and really overt racism, but not, not likely preparing stuff. them for the ways that they might be hurt by the people that they care about.
1: Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I, I, Totally agree with uh, having the conversation on how to defend yourself. So mm-hmm. some of the hard part is when you hear, you know, we love you or just ignore them, they're ignorant. That doesn't do anything to help prepare you to advocate or to change or to stand up for yourself. And so it absolutely, it's mirroring that part and understanding that there's a foundation of love, but here's all how you also, you don't get walked over. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to go to commercial break, but when we come back, Rachel, I want to talk to you about social development. So. You mentioned friends. What did that look like in getting into this fun part of dating and all of those things? So when we return on Fostering Hope, we'll hear more from Rachel Williams as a transracial adoptee. Welcome back to Fostering Hope. I'm your host, Nathan Ross, here with my co-host, Jennifer Townsend. We're talking with Rachel Williams today about her experiences as a transracial adoptee. And before break, she was talking to us about moving to Colorado and how that was an actual uh, better experience than she was prepared for. Uh, And it wasn't until she got back to Kansas City that she started to really understand the microaggressions of racism and how people can joke around and actually make you feel less of a person. So, Rachel, kind of over break, you were mentioning, you know, your parents prepping you and how you wish that they had prepped you in all aspects of, you know, standing up for yourself. So can you talk to us about that?
0: Yes. So both of my parents are strong people. My mom is a really strong outspoken woman and my dad is, you know, a strong, he's strong in who he is. And they prepared me for most things. And what I was, I've thought before about what made me choose the friend groups that I did, what Mm -hmm. made me choose to you know, date the guys that I did what attracted me to those types of people, and I realized it was because i felt um I felt bad about myself when I was around other people people white people that's mm-hmm. really what it was it not really through any fault of their own. I was just prejudging situations because I knew there was gonna be that joke that was made that made mm-hmm. me feel uncomfortable or mm-hmm. maybe their parents wouldn't like me, and they mm-hmm. wouldn't want them to be friends with me because of that or. You know, just the little side comments that aren't, like you said, microaggressions, like things that you can't just fly off the handle right. and get angry about, but they make you feel that way. So you just kind mm-hmm. of avoid those situations naturally because it's uncomfortable. Um, So that changed where I started to grow into when we moved back to Kansas City, the friend groups that I chose, mm-hmm. the people I wanted to hang out with and be like, um, the guys that I was attracted to, I just completely stopped even dealing with, you know, the other races mm-hmm. because I didn't feel accepted. And I was more accepted in the black community mm-hmm. because of the way that I look. So that's what I gravitated towards.
1: And, and how, so how do you feel like your identity grew around that issue? And what could your parents have done to make it better?
0: Well, we all, I think, grow and go through Identity crises, mm. you know as as we grow up whether you're adopted or not We all are trying to figure out who we are and you know what we want to dress like and mm-hmm. what we want to act like and who? We want to who we want to be so when you don't really have a foundation of who you are That is a really difficult transition and when your parents do not look like you mm-hmm. it's a little more difficult because they can't really help you through it um, and and they had no education or help in helping me through it. So we were all just kind of going in blind. Mm -hmm. It was just compacted, the fact that I was already going through changes. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, this added thing that was different about me made it a little more difficult for me to transition into that.
1: Did you ever feel like you had a time where you had to reject part of your own race or part of who you were to either survive or to get the right type of friends or romantic partners.
0: Definitely situationally um throughout my life I think that I've done that without even recognizing it mm-hmm. like we talked about um the the jokes that are made. Yeah. So let's say I was with a group of friends that were, you know, mainly white and they made a joke and I would have to laugh at it and pretend like it didn't hurt me and kind of reject that and pretend like I'm white for a second like yeah. it doesn't mm-hmm. bother me. Um when it did. And then, you know, on the flip side of that, whenever yeah. I started, I don't know, I mean, I was probably 13. Um, I really started gravitating towards the black community. That's where I felt more accepted. So then I really just completely forgot about, you know, any other race that I could possibly be. Mm-hmm. I just considered myself at that point black because mm-hmm. that's what I had been labeled, and I was mm-hmm. okay with that. I was fine with, with being that. And I think that's kind of where I've stayed throughout the majority of my life. Um, even into friend groups and then dating, every every guy that I've dated has been African-American, mm-hmm. not even any other race. Mm-hmm. So I think it just kind of shaped where I was going with my life. My husband is black. Um, my parents were probably pretty surprised, and I think most people might be a little surprised about that. Mm-hmm. Just because that's not what I'm used to. That's not what I grew up in. Mm-hmm. That's just what I gravitated towards.
1: Do you think that if your parents had done something differently that your that the boyfriends that you had would have been different, that the friends that you had would have been different and if so what could they have done like what are some steps that they could have taken?
0: My dad was great at really understanding what I needed as far as um understanding my my heritage. Mm-hmm. So when I was young, he would buy me Essence magazine. I remember he bought me a Tony Braxton CD Mm. and a Sade CD Mm. when I was, I don't even know how old I was. I was pretty young and he just wanted to make sure I always knew that that is also a part of who I am. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, My mom wasn't so much into that. She didn't really care or think about it. So I don't know if they necessarily helped me. They were just open when I had questions and they just didn't, say this is who you have to date or this is who you have to be friends with. Mm-hmm. A lot of their friends were black or white or Hispanic or whatever they were. So I don't know what I could say for people to help. It's it's a parenting thing. It's not even necessary necessarily an adoption thing at that mm-hmm. point. It's we all have to help our kids through growing up and certain situations. And it just turns into being open with them no matter what it is open to their questions you can't prepare yourself for what your kids are going to go through you have no idea what they're going to go through
1: yeah i I remember in fifth grade um, there was a school dance and there was this girl and i was like oh we're gonna start dating we're going out oh my god fifth grade dating and so you know we were dating and then she went home and came out the next day and was like yeah so i talked to my parents and i said i can't date you because you're black and that was my first time ever like Ever having any experience with the fact that it's something that I can't control—the the people had never met me, they mm-hmm. knew nothing about me—something that I couldn't control could have such an impact on my life. Now it's a fifth-grade girlfriend, so it, uh, it doesn't. And my wife now is white, so it uh, didn't have any long-term. Like I'm racist now and screw all white people. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 on the same side, I do know of people in the black community who, that because that is their experience, they have completely rejected any other race that's not their own. And so I I absolutely, I don't even remember if I told my foster parents about it. I was so astounded. I just was Mm -hmm. like, wait, what? And, you know, I was trying to talk to her and like plead my case. I felt like I had to justify, well, yeah, I'm black, but I didn't choose it. I don't want to be. Like, I'll change. I'll change for you. And so like there was a a time for me that I really wished that I could turn white because everyone around me was white and I was told that this, you know, my skin was going to be a problem. So how do I... It's that. a really sad
2: story, but picturing 5th grade Nathan making that argument is adorable. Oh, yeah. I
1: think. Yeah. <laughs> it was pathetic. <laughs> <laughs>
2: adorable,
1: pathetic. It depends on So have thin. you
2: given a lot of thought to what Rachel's saying right now about um, her socialization and why she picked the friends she picked or why she hung out with yeah. predominantly white friends at this point in her life and predominantly people of color at this point in their life? Have you given...
1: Yeah, and I've I think I've been on the other side of it, and so for me, I've always wanted to blend in, and because there were no, there were very few Black people in my community, I wanted to do everything I could to be as white as possible. Unfortunately, I felt like that's how you survived. I didn't want people Mm -hmm. to make the jokes. I would rather people say, "Oh my God, you're a credit to your race," than to stereotype me as, "Oh, you're another gangbanging," you know saggy, short person. And so, like, I have experienced that my whole life. If it's going to happen, I'd rather be the exception on the positive than the stereotype. And so, I think, growing up, I gave up a lot of opportunities to learn about mm-hmm. my actual culture, heritage, anything of that, because I didn't want people to associate me with it. Um, and so, I had, you know, mostly white friends. I mm-hmm. dated white people, which wasn't conscious anyway, mm-hmm. but just how it worked out, that was the majority. And so, mm-hmm. I think that my parents never rejected me by any means, but there for sure there also wasn't that conversation of how do you accept who you are and how do you become OK with who you are and go out there and tell people they don't get to talk to you about your race. They don't get to say you're not enough because of something you can't control, mm-hmm. um, which I think they have grown in that their ability to do that as they've had five billion children mm-hmm. you know, since me. but. Mm-hmm. You know, at the, like growing up and growing up, I also didn't realize that I cared about it. So mm-hmm. it wasn't uh-huh. I wasn't proactively asking them either. Mm-hmm. Um, But it's one of those things where, you're, you know, mm-hmm. as a parent, I, I think if I could change anything, it's that, yeah, this might not be important to you now, but it will be. Mm-hmm. It might be sometime. So here, let's start prepping.
0: Yeah, if you haven't experienced it, like my parents, obviously, well, I, I guess I shouldn't say obviously, but they never experienced being on the receiving end mm-hmm. of any sort of racism. Mm. So it was hard for them to relate to me and my experiences because they had never if anything they were the ones that were contributing to those experiences for other people at some point in their life so I think that was kind of where the I had to learn on my own or ask other people Mm -hmm. Um, that's where that came in because they can only be so supportive of something they were supportive parents but those conversations were hard to have because they didn't know they didn't have any answers for me exactly
1: exactly
2: I think it is real super important that we understand that the the limit is empathy. the The best that we can do is empathy, and that is not the same as actually having the lived experience. Right.
1: Yeah, and the conversations mm-hmm. that are so important. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. So you, as, as we wrap up this segment, just kind of briefly talk to us. When you were in the black community, you said you felt more at home, but did you still have to deal with kind of the "you aren't black enough" oh type definitely of conversations.
0: Oh, definitely. I mean. Mostly because, well, first is the way that I speak. It's really obvious um, in the way that I speak, but also the way that I look. And, you know, when I was younger, I liked my hair straight and I'm Mm -hmm. lighter skinned and my features are different. And I found myself wanting to look like them. I wanted I wanted more African-American features. I felt not black enough Mm -hmm. sometimes in those situations. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely I had similar experiences, just just different, mm-hmm. yeah. in in both groups.
1: Yeah, that's so. And you absolutely touched on it. It's so hard when you're developing as a teen, you're going through all the normal teen development, to also have a racial identity crisis. And no matter which way you turn, it's like you're getting pushback. And so our parents really do have to get in there, and it's tough, it's ugly, but really have those conversations and build your children up for when they go on their own. So we have to go to commercial break but when we come back we'll wrap up about how can our community help what are things that we want to see differently on fostering hope welcome back to fostering hope i'm your host nathan ross here with my co-host jennifer townsend We've been talking with Rachel today about her experiences as a transracial adoptee growing up, learning how to make friends, how to build intimate relationships and things like that while understanding and figuring out her racial identity. So, Rachel, my question is, did you feel at any point in time that you had to reconnect with birth family? Did you go through the reconnection experience, and how was that shaped by your racial experience?
0: I have wanted to connect with my birth parents since I can remember. Um, I was really young the first time I talked to my mom about it, Mm -hmm. and that subject for us has been, you know, it's a touchy subject. Mm -hmm. Like I talked about before, she's extremely protective, and that applies to all areas of my life, including my birth parents. Um, So she's uncomfortable with that, but it hasn't stopped me from looking. Mm -hmm. I just recently sent my dna sample in so that we can you know figure out what my racial background is but also see if there are any family members that i can connect with um through that so you know waiting impatiently mm-hmm. for that to come back <laughs> um and like i said i also got my non identifying information um from the adoption agency that my parents went through mm-hmm. any information that i could get i have gotten and i'm just i'm always searching i think there's a lot of us adoptees out there that are just constantly on the search, literally searching through people's faces and right. trying to see if you can connect with anyone. It definitely is something I want to connect with because I've never had it before. I've never had anyone that looks like me, Yeah, not only feature wise, but just in my family. And it would be nice to have that. And I, And I have siblings that I want to connect with. So it hasn't. If it doesn't happen, I still had a great life. Mm-hmm. My parents are still amazing, and I'm still glad I had the experiences that I did. But it would definitely be a piece of the puzzle that I would like to have.
1: And that's such an important piece. It, I hear it from every single adoptee that knowing even who you look like, mm-hmm. it's something that people don't even think about, but being able to see, Oh my gosh, I have that person's eyes, dimples, you know, even like personality. Well, yeah, we think the same is so extremely important. Mm -hmm. And that's not even specifically a race issue. That's just a, I want to know who I'm connected to in this world.
2: And nobody tells you to do that, but I've heard it from so many adult adoptees. My wife knew that her mother had red hair. And so if we're at a place with a lot of other people. And she sees a red haired woman, Mm -hmm. saw a red haired woman who was roughly her mother's age. It would always catch her eye. Yeah. That's not something somebody told you to do. It's just something that a lot of adulties, adult adoptees have done.
1: Just looking for that connection. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. It's a lot easier to say, I'm okay with who I am and how I look when you know that there is someone who looks like you.
1: Yeah. That's absolutely true.
0: So we kind of, we're always searching for that, for that person that a lot of times our race, the way we look, our, you know, what, whatever we're going through is is presented as a negative by other people. But if you have that back, well, I look like my mom. Mm-hmm. I look like my dad. Mm-hmm. I don't have that. I've never, I've had to just defend myself. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's made me, I'm sure, a stronger person in some way. But it would be nice to say, well, yeah, I look like this because I look like my mom or my right. dad. I look like my family, but I, I don't have that right now. So I guess I'm still searching for that even at 29 years old. That would be nice to have.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So as we wrap out the conversation, what can our community do? How do we engage in this conversation? It's such a big conversation. We've talked about it for a few weeks, but what do we do?
0: I would say for um, foster parents, adoptive parents, anyone who is caring for a child that is of another race, that isn't their biological family member, or even if they are, be understanding that their feelings are real and valid. Mm-hmm. You know, don't push them off as just don't think about it because it doesn't happen that way. We hold on to those things and educate yourself on what they might go through. Talk to other older adoptees, older foster kids, older people who have been through similar situations. So that you can help your kids if you have to have someone there for them to be able to talk to as they're growing up. Yeah. That has been through similar situations. Do that for them. I mean, most people will do anything for their kids. So think of all the ways that you can help them transition, you know, through life. Um, there, there are going to be a lot of changes that happen, but there's so many people out there that can help. There's no reason why you shouldn't be reaching out to those people for that help for your own kids. And community-wise, we talked about teachers mm-hmm. and um, people in churches and just people that interact with these families. Just accept them like you would anyone else and also understand that their feelings are valid. You know, be conscious of what you're saying around them, just like you should be for any person. That's right. not a an adoption issue. That's just, like you said, a people issue. Right. People need to be more aware of other people's feelings towards certain things, and if you hurt someone's feelings or you say something inappropriate, apologize for it and learn from it Mm -hmm. and grow from it. We're going to say things that are hurtful. We all do, so just acknowledge that that's that's a real feeling that they have.
1: Yeah, we've heard so much over the months with the show, the importance of connection and growing people and advocacy, growing them and being able to defend themselves and defend others, and so I think that what you're saying Fits absolutely with this today's conversation, but just in everything in general, that connection piece is so important. I think we forget that we're social creatures that we're mm-hmm. not meant to be alone. We're not meant to tackle things alone. The identity is helped by seeing people you look like, being able to see personalities that you match. And so I can have the most loving adoptive family, other family in the world. I'm still going to want that mm-hmm. piece that says, this is where you're biologically linked. This, these are the people in the world who are roaming around looking exactly like you do you know mm-hmm. um because I, I love my, i love my family and i love hearing you know oh you're just like your mom and you're just like your dad or your siblings but it, there's also the, always going to be a part of me that's like well i can't i can't really be like them because i'm not mm-hmm. from them you mm-hmm. know it's a great compliment but at the same time i want to like where are the people who genetically i'm like oh wow mm-hmm. yeah you for sure mm-hmm. you have the big eyes like your mom does mm-hmm. and your cousin and your grandma and mm-hmm. you know everyone so Um, definitely.
0: Yeah. Adoptive parents. One thing that my mom did that was hurtful, but I still love her. Obviously. (laughs) Um, she discouraged me from finding my birth family and, Mm -hmm. and still has really strong feelings towards that. And it made me feel extreme guilt towards it Mm -hmm. and stop for, you know, quite a while, stop looking, but I never really stopped looking. So it created that could have been if we didn't have such a strong relationship you know that could have broken our relationship down yeah. mm-hmm. that she would tell me if I were you I wouldn't look why do you want to know I mean I wouldn't want to know she didn't you know she didn't want to parent you so you know why why do you want to know her yeah. and I felt bad I don't want to hurt my mom right um mm-hmm. so before you enter into a situation where that could happen just make sure you're aware of your feelings and kind of pull back If you need to for your kids, Mm -hmm. be supportive of them in something that is a positive. If they feel they need that, then help them along the way.
1: Yeah. I mean, because who else are they going to have the conversation with then? If you can't, they can't talk to you and they have to go through this alone. If it does go negatively, they can't come to you and say this didn't go well. You know, I want to be, you want to be able to talk to your parents Mm -hmm. um, about those issues. Well, thank you so much, Rachel, for being with us today. We have to close out. You had such great information, and we really value um, your your experience and expertise. You've been listening to Fostering Hope, brought to you by Foster Adopt Connect, a comprehensive regional support and advocacy center for abused and neglected children and the families caring for them. To learn how to become a foster parent or how to help vulnerable children in other ways, please visit fosteradopt.org or follow Foster Adopt Connect on Facebook or Twitter. You will be hearing more from us in the future. Until next time.